Hello, everyone, and welcome back to our Sabbath School from Home podcast. This has the auspicious um, fact of being episode 11 of season 11. So we're very grateful for those of you that have been listening along for quite a while to this podcast. And we're also really pleased if you've only just recently discovered it. My name's Lachlan, and we have an interesting conversation that's going to be, I think, difficult to rein in at times in this one. G'day, I'm Ken. I'm looking forward to uh, seeing whether the horse has bolted and whether we can rein things in and all of that. And I'm Luke, and I'll be actively working to make sure the horse escapes to the <laughs> snowy mountains. <laughs> of course you will, Luke. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Well, well the cold um, from old as regret will be getting away. As a listener, you're going to have to you're going to have to become adjudicator at some point. I think as you listen to this episode and, and work out whether you think the horse is is contained or bolted. But what we're talking about in this episode is that the. the the lesson pamphlet has drawn our attention to what it calls end time deceptions, and it picks up its um, well, it's it's more or less constant theme so far of of defending what it sees as being the important truths and rebutting what it sees as being significant errors in terms of our understanding about death, about what happens when we die, about how death works, about how resurrection works i suppose all of this whole stuff um so let's start with a part of the bible that doesn't say anything whatsoever about death Uh, and that's a a fairly short story that i think we know well that jesus tells as recorded in matthew chapter 7 um it's actually so few verses let's not take turns um does someone want to just read verses 24 to 20 I'll, i'll do it It's really only to 27, but we might as well go to the end of the chapter, I think. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine does not put them into practice and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, because he taught as one who had authority, and not as their teachers of the law. Right. So, what is the rock, and what is the sand? (laughs) (laughs) Ah, Well, uh, the rock is something which can be put into practice. Ah, okay. Well, <laughs> it, it, well yes, it's, it's, it's something that has been put into practice. So it is not an abstraction. Uh, well, yes, it has been put into practice, but the starting point before that, even going back further than that, it is something that can be put into practice. True. And then when you put it into practice, you build it on a rock. Uh, so... Mm. You, you, so it, it, it's not an abstraction. Uh, it's not some just simple concept. It is a way of life. It is a practice. Okay. Um, in As I was following along, I happened to be open to the New Living Translation uh, this time, which, which I do often enjoy the flow of when I'm just reading it. Um, and in verse... Um, 
in verse 24, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it. In, in verse 26, anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds on the sand. So there is a there is a an indication of obedience um, here, and and I suppose obedience to teaching, and that takes me as neatly as it's possible to go to a statement made in the Sabbath School pamphlet, um, which I think deserves a little bit of pondering. And it's a statement that says this. There is a strong tendency in the postmodern Christian world to downplay the relevance of biblical doctrines, regarding them as tedious echoes of an obsolete form of religion. In this process, the teachings of Christ uh, are artificially replaced by the person of Christ. Look, I'm, I'm just about to hit the roof. Um, I'm sorry. Uh, this, uh, this is an astonishing proposition for a Christian um, to suggest that, uh, well, uh, to suggest that somehow we ought displace the person of Christ. Um, well, the, uh, that, that, the immediate... that we ought give him less priority. Because what it's, what it's effectively saying is, we need to focus on the teachings rather than on the person of Christ. And in my and, and, and if that's and, and it is, I think, implicit in the statement, uh, if if that's what's intended to be said, uh, it is pure heresy, um, because uh, Jesus himself did not say my teachings. He did not say my doctrine. He said me. He said, I mm. am the way, the truth and the life. So that's the starting point. The person of Jesus is central. Now, the next level in line is the practice of the teachings of Jesus. Uh, mm. So that's, and what were the teachings of Jesus? Uh, we are not <laughs> then talking about things like the state of the dead. We're talking about very different things. Um, <laughs> So I, I wondered whether you were going to use that for some reason yeah, as an yeah. example. So, so that's <laughs> that, 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 let's just let's just make that the starting point. Now, having said that, I'm not downplaying the importance of the teachings of Jesus. Uh, uh, hmm. Indeed, as disciples of Jesus, Wait, as as Ken, apprentices of Jesus, we want to. Um, I I become I like have him. to inter I have to interrupt you for a second, yeah. Ken. Are you saying that you believe in both the importance of the person of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus? I, I, because what the Sabbath school lesson strongly implied was that it has to be one or the other. You can't have both. <laughs> okay, so there's a false dichotomy. Thanks, Luke. <laughs> I, 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 had to, I had to point it out because they absolutely set it up that way. Yeah. That if you believe in the importance of the example or the person or the character or the divine nature of Christ, you're somehow minimizing the teachings or the doctrine. And that's simply not true. You can absolutely have both. In fact, building a little bit on, on your point, I think, Kim, the immediate thought that came to my mind was, hang on a second, they're, they're talking about the doctrine of Christ and the character of Christ as though these are things that can be separated. How do you separate the teachings of Christ from his character? You can't have yeah, I mean, one I'm, without the other. They go together. Yeah, exactly. I, I'm thinking of phrases, you know, you know, where Jesus says things like, you know, those who, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Not, not if you have listened carefully to my lessons, then you have learnt about the Father. 
right? Um, I'm I'm thinking about the the verse at the start of Hebrews. In in times past, there have been people come to teach us about God, but now God has revealed Himself to us through His Son. Um, the there has to be it. It is a little a little bit astonishing. I, I'm with Ken in the level of astonishment on this one. I, I find it. I find it quite startling <laughs> that such a sort of dichotomy is being posed here. Um, I don't think they realise how heretical they're being. It, essentially, it is a statement that refutes Christianity. That the person so of Christ me... is of no importance, only what he taught. <laughs> it's nonsense. Yeah, well, utter nonsense. Do we not, do, is it not important better. to us that Christ died and for our sins and was raised again and will return? Is that not the core of Christianity? How can you say that's not important? Only what he taught was important. Yeah. Um, no, I see exactly what you're saying. Um, look, I, I actually let me read a little further on in this passage. Are this we is being unfair? I didn't read to you. <laughs> no, I actually don't think we're being unfair. The reason the reason I want to read on is because I do often try to be very fair and even-handed, and we've pointed out it many times in other episodes that we don't approach these recording sessions with a vendetta. We are not out looking for the parts of the lesson that we can mock and make and make a fool of. It's just that in this case, I, I, I genuinely think there is something going on here that does deserve a little bit of a little bit of exploration because it goes on. So this is picking up on this idea of of the teachings of Christ being artificially replaced by the person of Christ. Arguing, for instance, that some biblical story or other cannot be true because Jesus, as they perceive him, would never have allowed that to happen as it's written. Now, I want to put my hand up here and say, I think I have thought along those lines before. I have read parts of the Old Testament that at face value strike me as being very unpalatable. And I have read them and said to myself, well, I claim to be a follower of this God, but I explicitly claim to be a follower of God in the way of Jesus. And I can't see this instruction to slaughter even the women and children. I can't see that being compatible with the calling that I perceive um, has been issued to us in the light of Christ, and so I, I think, I think I want to put my hand up as 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 guilty as charged on this one. Uh, what do you think? No, no, don't, don't put your hand up as guilty as charged because you're not. Because once again, they're constructing a straw man. What you have said is you find it difficult to understand. You have not then gone and made the assumption, the leap, to say, because I personally find this difficult to understand, it definitely didn't happen. It definitely didn't happen because it's not in accord with the character of Jesus, which is what mm. they're accusing you of doing. You're not doing that. You're doing something else, but... <laughs> <laughs> so is, I, is, I think the issue here... It, it, you, see, yeah. you, see, you see what I mean? It, it is... They're saying that if if you mm. have doubts, if you have concerns, if you don't understand something and you admit to yourself and others that you don't understand something, they are implying that that is a lack of faith in yeah. the teachings of Christ. Well, let me it link it back one isn't. more time to this to this story that the well-known stories that the story from Matthew um, seven that we that we opened. But before with. you do, you can't. Be, yeah. I just have to jump in and say this because they've said. The, the you can't essentially they're saying you can't use the argument well, but Jesus would never do that <laughs> that's what they're saying 
And right, yet so that is the very argument that is used to ground the Adventist doctrine of no hell. Because mm. God would never do that. God as a mm. God of love would never do that. So either we can or we can't use the argument. Uh, okay. Or we can use it selectively and appropriately. Uh, but, well. you know, they're, they're, <laughs> it's, uh, you, just, you, you can't just trot it out in one scenario and then mm. completely reject it in another scenario. Uh, well, or this... maybe you can. Right, well, I, I, <laughs> I might leave that up to the listener to decide. Well, but <clears throat> I, I would say, Ken, we, we probably should have a consistent understanding. of. Well, well, yeah. So, so the, understanding the character of God is, is one part of this. And then there's the obedience to the, I guess, obedience to the instructions or teachings of God. So obedience was an, a keyword element that I pulled out in, in verse 26. The, the person who is like someone who builds their house on the sand is the person who hears the teaching but doesn't obey it. Now, the obedience gets twisted into this narrative as well um, because the lesson goes on to sort of say, well, you know, personal feelings and taste end up being the criteria for interpreting the scriptures or even rejecting outright what the Bible clearly teaches. So, so, um, there's two things here. There's interpreting, a basis for interpretation, and then there's a rejecting outright what the Bible clearly teaches. I'm not entirely sure that that second thing is actually anything other than just a different interpretation. So not sure. And then it says, um, so rejecting outright what the Bible clearly teaches, often about obedience to God, which, as Jesus said, is so essential to building one's house on the rock. So this is where the logic has ended up in this particular train of thought. The logic has ended up with if you if you prior, overly prioritize, what is it? Artificially replace the teachings of Christ what with the does, person. Sorry, sorry. The more you read that sentence, the more angry I get every single word of it. What does artificially mean? Well, uh, well, it's, what it's they used talking in a majority about? of sense. Whatever, whatever meaning mm. you attribute to it <laughs> well okay so if artificially separating the person of christ from the teachings of christ is unacceptable yeah, organically i, I think if you do it <laughs> organically i'll do it organically yeah, look, is that all right <laughs> what a stupid <laughs> sentence honestly well i sorry i like you said look we really try not to have a go at the lesson yeah, but it's I'm, very i am finding back on this one yeah, There's so this, many problems. This is indeed. This really does feel like something that has has been written with a set of crosshairs over a particular kind of um, of approach to biblical sort of reading and, and and interpretation. And it's and it's not, I think, being anywhere close to to reasonable in its evaluation of what it what it describes as postmodern Christian world. Um, well, what it clearly intends is, that to mean negative. Yeah, and what it's doing. Is sticking to an artificially an artificially rationalist, um, mm. uh, uh, and uh, dualistic, um, or sorry, well at least polar, black and white, polarized yeah. Yeah. hermeneutic. Um, so, yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess I, I there's another element here that while we're while while it's down, let's give it another kick. Um, the you can't any anything that ever you says said. what the bible clearly teaches 
ah. um, is is a is a demonstrably useless statement, I think, in the first place, because if it was so clear, there wouldn't be disagreement yeah. about the point where clearly they are referring to something where there is disagreement. And in fact, this whole this whole week's topic is on these deceptions where where it goes and looks at ideas that people have that it wants to claim are wrong. Um, yeah, I want to I want to point out something just quickly at this outbursts thus far i agree with the seventh day adventist doctrine <laughs> on the state of the dead I've, i i i don't agree with their proposition but everything about the way that they are teaching this mm. and they are arguing it i find incredibly problematic this is not how to make an argument or how to treat people or how to <laughs> or how to how to what what was it what's the what's the term in the translation that we've got I'll put it this way. This is not how to yeah. follow, listen to and follow the teachings of Christ. Yeah. I, I, I very, that's what I have the objection to. It's not their, not what they say is true, mm. which I agree with. And, and, and I have to everything pause else there they're doing. and just say that I now recognise and confess that perhaps the way that I have spoken that I need to remember that these words were written by a person who is the author. Um, And I have not spoken in a respectful way about that person. Nonetheless, uh, I maintain strident disagreement with the statement. Yeah. Well, and I I believe that what I said, since we're (laughs) expressing contrition for our emotion i believe what i said was that it was a stupid <laughs> statement i did not express yeah. an opinion about the author and I, I will stand by what i say about well this uh, this is indeed a roller coaster of an episode we've had we i mean i woke up early this morning to watch the second half of a of a world cup football match between germany and costa rica and i'm not quite sure whether this podcast recording um or the the football game this morning was the greater emotional roller coaster of, of passions and <laughs> <laughs> contritions. But but let's so let's let's take this as an interesting platform. I, I guess what we are what we are united by is a feeling that there there is always the possibility that we could learn something useful, valuable, interesting, uh, intriguing, beautiful, or elegant from from uh, an idea that that we are initially inclined to dismiss. And Luke and Ken, you weren't in the last recording that we did, but Cam and I had a brief chat about the idea of purgatory in that episode. So listeners, if you haven't heard the last episode, um, you might want to go and catch up on that. Purgatory as presented by the the sort of standard picture of the medieval church is an idea that I think the Adventist tradition is very correct to reject. The, the exploitation of the living by leveraging the the perceived yeah the mercantile nature the the um all of this i think deserves to be rejected and yet what we discussed was what a was some of the elegance and some of the appeal of a picture of some of of more continuous transformation um where where there isn't a process of purging rather than an instantaneous purge and that in the process of purging we might be better able to retain our selfness um not our selfishness but our but our the the sense that that resurrected being in that 
after death existence is still in a real and tangible sense the me that was being saved by god in the whole process rather than just a thing that was vaguely reminiscent of me and and otherwise a sort of discontinuous new creation so i think that we should do the same thing with a couple of the ideas that the lesson plays with in this week Look, while, and, while, we're, while we're on purgatory uh, you, you referred to we reject it because of its mercantile nature of course hmm. we don't reject one well, form of the doctrine of atonement because of its mercantile nature indeed we rely specifically on the mercantile w w nature <laughs> of it but but let's uh, let's well, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah yeah you say uh, we can well, anyway <laughs> let's <laughs> Let, let's let's put that to one side and carry on and go. Right. Where, where are we headed? Yeah. Are we headed to reincarnation? Well, we're headed to, to um, two things that I think are oh. worth having a look at. The lesson looks at reincarnation and at near-death experiences. Okay. Um, let's go with so reincarnation. Go for it. Why do we slam reincarnation? I'm not saying I accept reincarnation necessarily. But what is so much more unusual, what is so far out of the ordinary about reincarnation compared to resurrection. Um, mm. Why is it that... Because reincarnation is effectively a number of resurrections. Well, we've got three. Um, not necessarily for the same person, um, uh, but we have three in our Adventist doctrine. Why what we not... Why, do, why it would be limited to three? Um why or and, and what's so different about reincarnation mm. to resurrection look for, from from the perspective of this life and looking at what can be uh known about the experience after death uh there is little difference between the idea of a resurrection and a reincarnation mm. so one thought that comes to my mind um is and I think if I've scanned it correctly, I think that this is, in fact, um, highlighted by the lesson as well. One problem with reincarnation, and I put problem in air quotes there, is that it offers a second chance. Uh, and I've deliberately said that in a way to make this argument sound slightly absurd. But the, it is a very real argument because the standard Protestant picture of Christianity, Christian picture of the world is that this life really does matter. Okay, the decisions you make kind of lock in your eternal destiny. And for many Protestant Christians, that locking in of eternal destiny is extremely stark because of eternal conscious torment in a fiery hell. But the problem with reincarnation is you come back and it's not it's it's a resurrected life, but not a changed world. So you're still back into this reality, this world. And there may be what if you're reincarnated and then do things much better? much better and much much nicer much more successful and then suddenly you earn yourself uh or you align let's let's get away from that mercantile language suddenly you align yourself with with god in a way that gives you entry into the kingdom and that somehow cheats the justice i suppose of the first time around when you're a bad person i i mean do this is what i don't understand about the whole conversation the the basis for the primary basis for believing in something or not, regardless of its admirable or distasteful characteristics, um, is whether or not it's true. Yes, but that if we don't believe if we don't believe reincarnation is is true, <laughs> is that not the end of it? 
Yeah. Are we not done? Can we not? Yeah. What okay. was the other All one? Right. Can we move Fair on? To... No, we but, but the no, point that actually... I wanted to yeah. make was simply that uh, it's uh, the our beliefs about resurrection are mm. as astonishing as anything else. Um, oh, and, ab- and 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 to absolutely. suggest that, but uh, you know, uh, well, maybe it's not even in. There. But to suggest that somehow you're not thinking clearly about things if you believe in reincarnation um, is perhaps to be hoist on your own petard. Um. Well, I, I, I fully agree with that, Ken. I think the, the point... I'm not saying I, I do believe in reincarnation. Make is, yeah, I, I, I don't understand why, as, as a church that has a particular doctrinal view which is based on the Bible and which we express great confidence in, there's such a sensation that they, there's such a sensation that the official view is we're under threat by the idea of reincarnation. What threat is there in something which we don't believe? Yeah, I, and 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 which there is no biblical basis for. It's like saying, I struggle to think of a comparison. Well, here's a comparison. There are some contra controversial ideas that throughout Christian history have been present within the Christian community. You know, the doctrines of the Trinity. Was Jesus, in fact, God, um, or was he, in fact, human? And and the reason that that might be a relevant discussion is because within the Christian community, there have been people holding more view, more, view more one way or more the other way. I, I could be wrong, but I don't know of any deeply established Christian traditions that are based around adopting the idea of reincarnation. There, there probably was a cult back in the early days that had some ideas about it that they got from the Greeks or something. There probably was. I, I think, okay, I mean, let me try and express it this way. Let's use the mm. teachings of Christ to, to settle whether or not this matters. The teachings of Christ is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Does believing in reincarnation prevent you from doing that in any way whatsoever? No, well, it doesn't. I, it doesn't I matter. You're right. I was going to hold the same yardstick up, Luke, but express from just a slightly different perspective, and it's one we've already used in earlier episodes this season. At the end of the day, if you did believe in reincarnation, where... Most of the reincarnation pictures that I am aware of carry some sense that if you are particularly selfish, mean, evil, horrible, nasty in this life, it doesn't roll well for you in the reincarnation. That That is the... Right. If that's the case, if that's the picture you have, then what is the real effect of that belief? It's going to be to attempt to be loving, kind, generous. Um, the the sorts of life characteristics that might go well for you in the reincarnation. Um, That's not going to be wildly different from a Christian who doesn't believe in reincarnation, but does believe in trying to align themselves with Christ's ministry to the world. Well, and here's here's another point. I, I don't believe, correct me if I'm wrong, if either of you understand differently, but I don't believe that Adventism um, believes that there. Only Adventists will be saved. You have to be well, Adventists except to be except saved. on the day that Christ returns. That that's that's implicit. That you have to hold the Adventist doctrine of of the Sabbath, um, and right. But Adventists does believe that people who never had the opportunity yeah, they'll be okay to hear about Christ historically could still come to God even yeah. not knowing the correct doctrines. 
but they could still believe in him without knowing him that there are faith traditions yeah. outside of the Judeo-Christian one that had people who believed in God in in a way and, and were saved. Some of those people would have believed in no doubt. each other. Some of them would have been animists. Because throughout human history, there have been millions of people who never had the opportunity to hear about Christ, who were Buddhist um, or, or Hindu. Um yeah, mm. or, or or pagan of various stripes. All right then. Well, we haven't we haven't uh, exhaustively gone through the full five itemized five points that the lesson uses to argue against reincarnation. But I feel like, in the interest of time, we should at least briefly discuss near death experiences. And this one's on my mind just slightly because I watched a very fascinating video on YouTube earlier this week where Richard Hammond, the the well-known Top Gear presenter... Oh, yeah, I, I saw the same one. ...recounts yes. the story. He, he um, while filming for Top Gear 14, 15 years ago, had a, a jet car that was a land speed record holder and it, it had a tyre blowout and the car rolled and crashed at very high speed. He was driving it. He was and, driving it. And was in a very serious condition in hospital and was in a coma for... It was some time, Luke, I think, week... It, days or weeks uh in a coma um and he he did recover and he did survive and he was able his life was able to go back fairly close to normal although those close to him do do report that some elements of his sort of personality did change a little bit and that's not at all too surprising for people that have had serious sort of brain mm. injuries there's a lot often um subtle differences that take place but the story that i'm wanting to focus on is richard hammond in just a very short and i think quite moving video um tells the story that while he was in that coma his his experience of that his recollection of that time was that he was walking up in the lake district of england a place that he likes and he was walking up the hill up the side of a hill to a tree a large tree and as he was walking, he he just he got the fairly strong feeling that he was in trouble, and um, he tells it way better than I'm about to. But cutting the story fairly short, it turns out that while he was in the coma, it, the doctors told his wife at one point that it looked extremely bad and that it was most likely that he would die and she asked she said can i can i talk to him and went in and shouted at him got really angry at him and said you know don't you dare die and my understand my my interpretation of of the events is that his his damaged brain in a coma state was receiving audio input and was processing it not able to understand what was going on but was left with the sense that he was in trouble. Someone was upset with him. <laughs> and and um, I can't quite remember, Luke, was it? it? It was not directly in connection with that feeling. But in the, anyway, he, he, he sort of... Well, he, he decided to turn around right, and not go past right. the tree. Um, and, and the way that he recounts the story, that decision in his comatose dream is connected with the turnaround of his physical condition, which which went from, you know, right on the precipice to, to, to a recovery. Um, that isn't really a near-death experience quite. It's certainly not quite in the sort of more spiritual and mystical sense that, that the lesson is, is wondering about, you know, where people sort of report experiences that that they feel so convinced are consistent with an... With an you know, conscious soul, that a disembodied soul, that, that you know, eternal soul and stuff like this. And 
obviously the Adventist perspective of, of death as a sleep and of no conscious experience and the, uh, no soul that is separate from, from the physical existence. Um, obviously that sort of tradition has great issue with some of these near death experience accounts. Um, but what really jumped out at me was that Richard Ammon wasn't making a place up. The reason that he could make this video is because he makes the video sitting underneath the tree that he was walking up to in his dream because it was a real place that had, that was part of his actual memories. It was a place that was already significant to him. And he tells something quite beautiful about the fact that it he, he found it quite comforting after recovering to realize that the place his brain was retreating to, essentially as it shut down to die, was the place of great positive memory and comfort to him. And he sort of thinks, well, isn't that a beautiful thing? But it makes me observe, wouldn't it, wouldn't it be equally natural to assume that someone for whom a belief in a an eternal soul that separates at death, if that was a comforting thought to them in their belief structure, of course it's it's expected that their near death experience is likely to feature such details. Mm -hmm. Yes, I suppose so. Um, I, I I'm not. I think also there's a false dichotomy between the 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 existence of a soul. Um, separate from the <laughs> body, um, and and near the yeah, and and, and the nature of the existence after resurrection, whenever that might hmm. be, um, uh, and and I don't think there's necessarily. I think there's perhaps a uh, there there are ways, particularly when you look at the uh, the nature of time. Uh, that one might be able to reconcile um, the Adventist position and the other traditional Protestant positions, but as to oh, ha it's but, it's very doable to reconcile yeah, these but, things if uh, one wants to. That's but well, if and, one but, wants but, well, to. Well, the point the is, point. perhaps there's a good reason to, um, uh, because it removes. Uh, it says, well, it, this is not important uh, what is important is that god will look after things when you die um, uh, mm. and he is present in our lives now um well you, you know what i that, that's a that's a, a a really good um point to jump into something i've been thinking of since the start of this discussion which is that coming back to this idea of a distinction which i think is i think the distinction is the artificial thing between the, the person of christ and the teachings of christ correct me if i'm misremembering everything we've discussed for the past 11 weeks 10 weeks but christ doesn't teach very much mm -hmm. about the state of the dead. and some of the things that where he he talks about the state of the dead we've we we agree were a parable and not literal, and it wasn't a teaching on the state of the dead. He was just using a, 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 a story about people after death to illustrate a more important point about about how we treat those less fortunate than us, right? He doesn't teach very much about the state of the dead, but his person and his personal experience demonstrates mm. a lot about the state of the dead. <laughs> So what do we, what element of Jesus do we learn more about the state of the dead from? Mm. His person. He teaches more by e example 
than anything else on on this particular doctrinal topic. Um, on on the subject of near death experiences, again, it's something which I've just I I want again. I wonder why are we so threatened by and I don't mean mm. we mm. as mm. in this mm. group mm. of us three. Mm. We as as a as a, a denomination are so threatened by these ideas which we you know if if you look at the at what we say about them in sabbath school lessons and doctrinal texts and theological essays and things like that we believe these ideas are are incorrect and the bible shows them to be incorrect and there's no mm. basis for believing in if that's so then mm. they have no power well yeah that, that's true but, but i think the reason we're concerned about them is that that there are that they are there are interpretations of them or they are used to point to the truth of other of doctrines that are inconsistent with our view about the soul and soul sleep and you know the state of the dead and those sorts of things so um, that's why it's important because we feel that well there are others who hold these views we need to take them down otherwise our views are incorrect because they're inconsistent with our views uh, that's it. That that very approach is inconsistent. Well, yeah, <laughs> he doesn't tell no. us to go out and attack other no. people's doctrines. Other people's doctrines. In, indeed, indeed, much of uh, uh, that brings us back to an, an entire discussion about uh, what is the central purpose of the Adventist, or what is the nature of the Adventist message, and it is essentially uh, an attempt to correct errors on the part of other Christians. Um, but <laughs> well, <clears throat> well, we may not have time in this episode for, for that particular discussion. Uh, <laughs> sounds like quite a good one. I think that we, um, that we should probably wrap up. And it seems to me that there are, there are other elements of some of these discussions where we are very comfortable to accept a diversity of approaches. And I've commented on this one before. Um, you know, I heard someone once who recounted the story of them and their wife having uh, lost a child through miscarriage. And they recounted that in their mind, they were so comforted by the, by the knowledge that this was that this some I can't remember how it had all turned out, but it all been part of God's plan, and I was furious at the implication that the loss of an unborn child could be something that God had planned and orchestrated. I was furious at it, and as I sat there in my fury, I realized that for the person who had just said it, that was the only way they could make sense of, the only way they could cope with an experience that had been quite difficult for them mm. was to think that it somehow had meaning because it was God's plan. And I suddenly realized to myself, there's something more important than being right here. There's, there's being kind. Mm. And, and that particular mm. one is not a doctrinal issue. We don't get tied up in knots about it, but it occurs to me that I think it would be nice if we could extend the same courtesy to someone who's lost a loved one and they're at the funeral and they express their gratitude for the knowledge that grandma is looking down on them from the sky. It would be nice, I think, if we could have the humility to recognize that sometimes 
being kind is better than being right. Um, and and I just wondered to myself whether getting too caught up in arguing the correctness or otherwise of deceptions or otherwise might sometimes make us the um, the socially inept um, <laughs> autistic Christians. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's that's perhaps the thought that we're going to have to end on uh, because I'm looking at the time and we have been doing such a good job of, of keeping ourselves a little below some of the, the temporal excesses that have featured in previous seasons. So thank you so much for well, everyone who has been listening. And um, I don't know, Ken or Luke, if you have any brief closing remarks. I, I, I can offer one and you can cut something I said out of the podcast earlier to, to make space for it. Um, I, I also, as as I, as I mentioned, I also watched that video of it, and it, it gave me a lot to think about, um, because uh, my dad died in February of this year, and in the 24, 30 hours before his death, he was basically comatose. Um, and I, I found what Hammond said to be immensely encouraging, because we were talking to, we were all there. Um, for the last 12 plus hours and we were talking to dad and we were talking to each other and we were reminiscing and we, we closed uh, well we opened sabbath um, as the sun was going down and we sang um, and we were there mm. when he died and we were talking to him the whole time and the idea that his brain was receiving that information and processing it and perhaps perceiving mm. something beautiful at that time whatever mm. may come after uh, is a really nice idea. Mm. And I wouldn't take that away from anyone. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I have to admit, similar sort of thought came to my mind, Luke, when I watched that video. So I encourage everyone, if you if you are even vaguely interested in this video that we've now mentioned a few times, jump on YouTube and find it. It's not a very um, large imposition on your time. And Richard Hammond tells the story extremely well. It's, it's um, quite thought-provoking. And um, hopefully a few of our comments in this episode have also been thought-provoking. And um, now it is for you, the listener, to decide, did we keep the horse in or has it well and truly bolted? Um, if you have any thoughts on that, feel free to contact us at sabbathschoolfromhome at gmail.com and we hope that you uh, tune in to listen again next week. <laughs>